It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to our weekly get together here at Work Cookie and the Work Cookie Podcast. Uh, we are a group of IOs, HR, recruiters, and one actor helping people in the business world to find more success. Uh, Jeremy, speaking of success, today we're gonna to talk about selecting and energizing teams. Um, that sounds like a two-parter. Uh, first of all, selecting them, selecting the right people and then Getting them to work productively sounds easy. <laughs> it, it does on face value, doesn't it? So there's a lot. It's interesting when you look at teams. So there's you have interdisciplinary teams. You have, you know, of course, like task force. When you look into the, the history of it, uh, basically you look at enterprises going back to 1908 and you look at uh, the other successful American adventures, right? Like the Apollo program from 61 to 69. And because of the space rivalry with the Soviet Union, task forces, they started to be an optimal way of working research and development and so forth. So we can we can take there's a lot of different takeaways uh, from that. And also we look at what are the questions we should be asking when we're uh, looking for someone new to come on, when we're evaluating our current, we're putting together a new scratch. And then also how do those personalities work? So when you look at the different personality types, what's an op- what are the optimal types of personalities to have on? I mean, I, I was looking through and all the research we could really do podcasts. Maybe we'll continue off of. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy and Ariana. I'd like to see, love to go to you first because HR. <laughs> when we're recruiting, are we actually thinking about all those things that Jeremy's talking about? About is this going to be the best team member to join the organization? Are we actually doing that? Well, I'm not, I've never been in HR or in recruiting, so I might not be the exact right person to ask, but in my perspective, probably not. And I think the reason is, is that it's really challenging to consider all the factors that we want to. So usually we go based on a job description and IOs love a good job description. And then we'll create maybe structured interviews based on the skills needed. And then you vet a few candidates and they meet with a number of people on the teams, maybe do a skill assessment, and then we hire them. But sometimes other times people use personality assessments and things like that. But I think that in an ideal state, in a perfect world, we'd want to select based on everything. So person role fit, person team fit, person organization fit, 
personality composition when considering the other personalities on the team and where are the gaps in the personality and how can these people add value? Also a skill fit, you know, and I think that we can want a lot of perfect fits in all these areas, but at the end of the day, we only have so many things that we can select on and so many candidates and so much time to put them through a selection process. Well, Linda Ann, let me go to you because I, you know, what Dr. Ariane is describing sounds really good to me, but do we have time? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it depends on how important it is for you to get the right person. However, um, I think that that sometimes it can be overthought. And um, I don't think a lot of employers have the wherewithal to go into that kind of depth. And even if they bring in an IO to help them with that, that's what Ariana, <clears throat> Ariana described is a, is a pretty tall order. So the way I bring it down is first, as we go through this process today, anytime you hire somebody, you should be reviewing that job description and evaluating, do you really need to hire that person that you're describing there? Or do the tasks and responsibilities need to sh- change given that maybe the last time you did that job description, it was three, four, five years ago. And the landscape has changed significantly. And if they're working from, you know, as part of a a remote model, are all those tasks necessary and do they even exist anymore and those kinds of things. So I think as we hire each person, there needs to be an evaluation of the job description to see that it is an accurate one anymore. Right. Ben, Go go ahead. Okay, no, go, go ahead, finish your thought. Um, and then we need to look at uh, the fact that what is happening now is a lot of time people are putting together these job descriptions to hire for, and <clears throat> they've decided that if I write down every possible thing that this person could do, then and I hire a person with all those skills, then I will have the perfect hire, and I, it'll be a set it and forget it kind of thing. And I'm going to tell you now, Stop doing that. It's not going to work. <laughs> what, you're telling me it doesn't work? <laughs> hey, Lee, I'd love to go to you because how does the military recruit and kind of, you know, hire people for team positions, which if you look at it is really what they're doing, but do they have the evaluation process or is it more like there's a warm body, let's grab them? Uh, well, first, I would debate whether or not they're they're recruiting people for team positions. Um you know, you think about the size of the Navy and you really don't know where somebody's going to end up. So I can't say that, you know, USS whatever in San Diego uh, is going to need exactly this guy that I am recruiting in Iowa. You know, it's and and not only that, there are differences in, I mean, significant differences between the, the people who serve on the East Coast and serve on the West Coast. Just, it's, you know, and, and there's a rivalry there, which is kind of interesting and entertaining. Uh, so, you know, with, with, a, with an organization that size where you're basically, uh, a lot of times you're not even really picking it based on the job, honestly. Like, like my, my military specialty is information systems technician. So when they look at it, they look at, I need an, an IT of a certain, uh, you know, level with potentially some particular uh, background based on some qualifications, little codes they put in boxes. And so you have what we call a detailer where you call them up and they go, all right, I got five jobs. What rank them? Well, you can't have the first two. So you get number three. And, you know, that, and, and they do it based on they, they need a body. And a lot of times it is they need a body. And, and 
depending on, there are some screened, what we call screen billets, where they go through and they actually look at your evaluations and your performance and that kind of thing and to try to decide whether or not you really can do what they need you to do. Um, but a lot of times, especially with really junior people, um, you know, you, you meet the wickets, you're not in trouble, you got a pulse, um, we need you to fill this hole. And, uh, and, and even then, uh, it's a constant struggle uh, because, you know, we're always undermanned. So there's never enough people. So then you do have some competition going on there, which also means that you may get the guy that you really don't want because there isn't anybody else. And there's a big, uh, there's actually a big push in the right now looking at uh, the fit to put the right person in the right place and to really look more at a, at a skill level. Um, and it's a monumental task. It's been going on for a long time. I don't know if they'll ever get it done. Um, and, and part of that is because year to year, the demographics, you know, the guy that we're recruiting today is not the guy we recruited a year ago. And and we're always behind. So we say we need so many of this particular specialty this year. Maybe we, we probably needed them last year. And this year, we so um, we don't have near the flexibility, you know, the majority of the time that the civilian world has, you know, making teams, you know. Task force are a little different. A lot of times for working groups and task force, uh, you can go through and you can say, okay, I want this guy, this guy, this guy. Uh, you can have people apply because they're special things. They look good on your evaluation. Uh, but as far as who's showing up at your command today, um, you don't have any say in it usually. They, they, you, know, you get a notice that says, you know, Seaman Timmy has orders and he's coming to you next week. And we don't know much else. So, um, Well, it sounds like that should change. <laughs> It really should. It, it really should. And and we're remarkably successful for what we deal with. Right. There are always things that could change. And really, um, part of the issue, I think, is because of the way that we, we do business. I mean, so, you know, you hire somebody today and they don't work out. What do you do? Well, you probably get rid of them. And, you know, in the military, they've got four more years of contract. So unless they really do something <clears throat> that you know, of a legal nature or, or disciplinary nature that will allow you to actually remove them from service, you're stuck with them. And when they show up at your organization on the three-year tour, you're stuck with them. Um, you know, yeah, there's, there's a, they are trying to get more corporate. Uh, and actually, I, I would love to talk to, you know, because uh, I, I hear the Air Force is actually better at that. And I'd love to, to talk to someone about that. But um, they're trying to get there. I don't know if we'll ever see it. Well, we can only hope. Uh, Jeremy, let's go to you first, and then Linda, and we'll come back to you. There's questions that people are trying to figure out what is on a team. We also have to look at this kind of this this rubber band t- kind of deal between individualism and team cohesion. Team co- because it's like an it's like an inverted V. Because the more and more we have, you know, individual and provides people with the freedom responsibility, but then you get the when you have teamwork, you have a greater possibility of things happening because you have the, all this knowledge together. But at the same time, we don't want to fall too much so that we lose our personal identity. So then we we fall back into individualism. But then the, if you have too much individualism, then you need the teamwork so that you can be more productive, reduce isolation. So the conclusion here is you can start to put a clear, if you have a clear goal, it, it sounds very basic, right? We talk about goals all the time, but think about what is it going to generate some kind of initiative for success. We've talked about the, uh, what is it? The Eagles, the Eagles and the Rattlers experience. It was back like the Solomon Ash psych experiment back in, I think, 1969, where you have these two rival uh, boys summer camps and they had a food truck breakdown. And in order to get the food truck, they had to actually work together and stop hating each other. 
to, to get the food trucks so they could eat. So we start looking at common purposes and common goals, but it falls back to asking some of these questions too. You know, very simply, what is the, what is the team like now? What is the ideal team? What do we do? What do we do now with less effort and succeed where others fail? Um, if we were to do anything differently, what would that be? So start to start to look at what the team consists of now. And I think a really important note is when you look at at super teams. I think it was was it NASA that found us out teams be because you know you have NASA, you have all these obviously brilliant scientists. So they started putting them on these task force and they realized that these teams of all superstar smart people were performing less less good than the mediocre teams. And there's there's some reasons for that. I, you know, identity and, and and pride and all that. But also look back, I think it was the 1998 Brazilian World Cup soccer team, right? All-stars. They ended up losing in the last match because when you have too many superstars, you don't have that team gel. So sometimes, you know, when you look at your average, sometimes just a, a set of mediocre players on your team who work well together, understand each other's personalities, can outperform a team of, you know, high performers. So looking at the team dynamic as well, there's every team ha- also has to have somebody creative on that team and also somebody to spark action. Sometimes they're the same person, sometimes not. When you are putting together a team also it doesn't you know it doesn't hurt to have a star player here and there but again it's just always it's always looking back at the overall team dynamic what's missing what are the different personalities that we have what are the personalities that we need thank you i'm just going to write to linda ann a couple of things i think that when we're looking at teams it's also the same way i think that people should be looking for um employees and that is number one you you for both teams and self and, and employees you're going to look at somebody who's self-selecting ideally self-selecting the team or the company right because that's the, the most motivating then you want to make sure that they align in value systems that that an employee or a team member aligns with the value system within the organization or the or the team um, because if you don't then Somewhere down the line, you're going to find some uh, dissonance and discord. Then there needs to be alignment with purpose. You know, when you self-select a team, if they are motivated to work on that particular project, then they will be more active and productive in that team. Um, And then look for enthusiasm for learning, problem solving, and then overall skill set. Because... The energizing and the motivation is kind of a result. It's not a thing that you choose ahead of time. It's a result of all the other things that you do. And I'm going to put in um, uh, the chat. There's a great TED talk on pecking order um, It's a, uh, and team dynamics. And it talks about kind of what Jeremy was referring to as is all your superstars aren't going to get you there. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. There's so much to consider here. You know, I think that what Dr. Ariana was saying, there's the ideal, then there's the reality. When we look at teams, there are so many more variables to account for. When you're just looking at bringing one person on board, that's enough to consider there, right? There are so many things to look at there. But now you're looking at a group of people 
And you want to put together a group of people that works well together, that can get you results, that hopefully complements each other. Uh, all the individuals complement each other. Strengths um, compensate for other people's weaknesses. It's interesting what Dr. Jeremy brought up about the superstars because there could be some issues there. If you have too many of these superstars on one team, we could have an ego uh, situation there. Even if you have one superstar on a team, I think it's very important not to highlight that too much because you may create a certain um, certain envy, certain resentment from other team members. So it's so important that we pay attention to every individual on that team so that we can highlight their talents um, what they can do for the team, how they can <clears throat> contribute to the team, and how they make the team a whole. You know, inter, um, interdependent tasks between team members are a good way to see how the team works together. If they can work together through interdependent tasks, that gets the job done, and you have a very good start. So there are so many things to consider, but when looking at a successful team, we have to be cognizant of the individuals and we have to nurture each individual so that they are able to contribute their best to the team. At the same time, we have to be aware of those um, maybe negative members because all it takes is one to affect uh, the team dynamic, to affect the the attitude to affect the experience for the rest of the team. So in, in my opinion, it's very important to pay attention to the individuals as we're building teams. Do I want to find a superstar who is a team player? And if I can, will that actually increase the skill level of the people around that? Will the, will the whole team sort of grow together? Oh, that would be ideal in terms of um, a superstar being a good team player because if you have a superstar that's more of an ego focused person um, i'm the one who's carrying this team or look at this team it's all it is because of me um, that's when problems are bound to arrive but when you have someone who is able to perform and is also able to bring everybody else along bring everybody else together i think that's a winner yeah i totally agree uh, brendan let's go to you so I definitely want to add on what Linda Ann was saying about actually app application of this. Definitely when you're using, if you're using the HCM model of attraction, engagement, retention, that's going to be a major play. You want to make sure you're attracting the right candidates, keeping them engaged, and then keeping them on the team. But when where I've had some success with this is you kind of want to flip this and do this backwards. You want to write your job descriptions and, and look for the employees based off of what the mission, vision, values of the organization are. So those people are always going to be, uh, they're going to have higher chances of being uh, intrinsically motivated because they're in line with the values and the mission of the organization. So there's less check-in with them because they're just naturally drawn to do this type of work and they're going to be self-motivated and doing that type of work is, is going to bring them enjoyment. So when you're trying to apply these things, if, when you're writing a job description, you want to make sure that within the job description, you're upholding all the values of the organization. And while you're managing and coaching these employees, if you know 
making sure that the values are always upheld. One of the things I do with a lot of clients is um, with performance reviews, trying to get away from the rating system because people don't like it anymore. That's what that's what you know uh, is the common theme out there right now. So going more towards a coaching model, and the coaching model should be based off of what your values are. We like this. This was in line with the value. You did this. This is against our values. This is why we're having this coaching session. So less about disciplinary and more about alignment. Yeah, that makes total sense. Lee, let's go to you. I want to circle back to uh, what Jeremy was talking about a little while ago. Um, you know, every year there's a really interesting phenomenon in the Navy. Um, you know, one one thing that's, that's different in the Navy than others, for those who are, are selected to promote to, to chief petty officer, it's E7, they are completely pulled out and put into a, uh, a training pipeline. And it's intensive. You're expected to do your day job at the same time. Um, and it's fascinating because they put all these people together. Now, you know, if you're in a smaller place where you've got one or two, it's not as much of a thing. But like, you know, here at the local command, you could have 30. And these are all your hot runners, right? They're all the guys who have been your sailor of the year. They have been the number one in the rankings. They have done all these extra things um, to, to make themselves look good. And they're used to being the guy in charge because, you know, most of them are the leading person in, in their workshops or whatever. And you take all these people and you throw them together and they are not used to following a peer. They may be great if one of their superiors tells them something, but they are not used to following a peer. And so you put them in there and then you randomly say, OK, you know, Timmy, you're in charge. And then you watch him fail spectacularly. And then you go, OK, Susie, you're now in charge. And you watch her fail spectacularly. And it is trial by fire. And, and this is a couple, it's uh, it's like, I forget, six or eight weeks that they put these guys through this and they give them you know more work than they can handle. They make things that they will fail if they don't work together. They put them in situations where they will fail if they don't reach out to the greater network. And every year, invariably, they are like the Keystone Cops when they start out. And I'd like to say my group is different, but I'd be lying. And you know, they go through and they can't, I mean, they can't find their, their backside with both hands when they start because they're not able to follow each other. And to watch the dynamic come out is very, very interesting. And, and you know, sometimes you do get that one superstar, the one, the guy that, that really can, you know, it's not about me. I'm, I'm ready for all you guys to do better, you know, and then all of a sudden people start kind of fall gravitating towards that person. And then you get the ones that just never get it. I mean, just never. and it's painful to watch. And I, I have mentored many of these I have had people calling me in tears because they are just, they don't know how to fail because they have never failed as spectacularly as they are. And uh, it, is, it is fascinating to watch. Uh, you know, it's almost like boot camp all over again. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's the breakdown and the build back up. And uh, it was even more fascinating in 2020 because by and large, it's done virtually. And, uh, you know, here locally, we had a 30, three people or something, many of whom had never been in the same room together when the process was over. And, uh, and of course, the little Brady Bunch square, like we got going here, you know, you can't hide, you know, and uh, I, I had a, I had a, a, a protege going through there. And I mean, every time they would call on her and I could just watch her kind of melt and it's like, oh, oh, I'm going to get a call later. And uh, it, it is truly fascinating to watch uh, it is it is kind of like a super, you know, an all-star team put together, like you were saying. I mean, you take all these guys and they just they don't know how to work together. 
and the team building. Yeah, I mean, it really is a fascinating thing to watch and painful to go through. <laughs> fascinating and scary to watch all at the same time. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Dr. Harris, welcome to Work Cookie. Unmute your mic and join us. Uh, thank you so much. Um, definitely enjoying the conversation. And as I was listening to everyone, uh, Dr. Jeremy, Dr. Martha, and everyone talk about team dynamics, I couldn't help but think about the dream team of 1992. You know, you had Michael Jordan, uh, Larry Bird, Chris Mullins, Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley. What's the justification for putting Michael Jordan on a bench? I mean, how, how do you say, you know, according to this job wreck and the dynamics of the team and the goal, we're going to sit you out, Michael? I think he's at a high level. And, and matter of fact, everyone on that team was at an extremely high level. And if I recall the story correctly, the coach, which I can't remember his name, I think the dream team played a college team and I think the college team kind of demolished them. So that put them, put them in a position to really self-check. And one of the things that Clyde Drexler said is, they had to check their ego. Once they checked their egos, they were able to go through what we call the, the performing stage. So the, the stages of the team, right? I think it's what uh, performing, norming, uh, storming, and uh, synergy. So to reach that level, I think you definitely need uh, athletes or you need people on your team who are specialized in a certain skill set. I definitely think you need people who are role players, but I think you need the commonality of what are the dynamics of the team for this team to function that this needs to be seen across the board? You know, on a basketball team, everybody has to dribble. Everybody needs to be able to shoot. But equally, we need someone that's going to be able to rebound because someone's going to always be in position to do that. And what does that look like in the corporate space or entrepreneurial space? How do we have that dynamic come together where it creates a synergy for the team to succeed? And I think it goes back to... Uh, I forgot who said, I think it was Brendan talking about the the goals, the values and the mission and the vision. If you think about a goal itself by itself, it leads to an accomplishment. But when you have a goal tied to a vision fueled by a mission, it leads to fulfillment. And I think that's where we get that intrinsic motivation um, to allow us to be successful. Thank you. Uh, let me ask you this, Dr. Harris. Are there any IOs working with professional sports teams? Because as you're talking and going, that seems to be a natural. Um, I am not sure as professionals, but I think there are some in the uh, college level. I have a peer. uh, She played for the WNBA and her dissertation was based upon that. But I'm pretty sure there are some. uh, Clemson University, I think it's one, but it is a good it's a good opportunity, I think. See, Jeremy, we've got one more career we have to add to the list of IO potential jobs. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. 
Yeah, I wanted to just comment on, and, and depending on really the purpose of the the particular team, I think that when you're hiring people and when and, and when you're doing a lot of teams, that you need to um, see if you can get people who have potential rather than experience. And the reason I say that is because if you imagine putting a group of five or six people together who all have potential, but may not have a lot of experience in a particular project or task or whatever that is, think about how they might go about achieving the goal of the project versus if you put together a team of people who have all done this task before and how they will automatically sit in a particular role and do it the way it's been done before. And so I think when you look at hiring people for or putting them in teams with potential versus experience and then looking at what the path to growth is and helping them get that through to that path, that creates that that intrinsic motivation, that engagement, that um, energizing that you're really looking for. And because if you're putting somebody in, whether it's hiring them with all the experience that you think you need already, they're already underemployed, right? They, they don't see the, 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 the future process isn't there for them. And you really want to be looking for that. Where's that path forward? And am I helping them get there? Am I helping them develop that? Let me ask you this, though, because (laughs) here's the part that scares me. When I hear hire for potential, not experience, are you excluding older workers? No. Okay. Older workers, I learn all the time. And so it, it doesn't mean just because you have a lot of experience, it doesn't mean you've done everything. Where do you want your next step to be? Are you, are you saying that I still I have I think that potential? that's, yeah, you just take the age out of that. Say okay. again? I still have potential. <laughs> Absolutely. <Hey. laughs> Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Um, I think you have tremendous potential. <clears throat> well, you know, I, one thing that I wanted to mention is how important engagement and communication is. Um, sometimes you can do all the right things and hire someone or bring someone on board. And maybe it turns out you didn't get what you thought you were getting from that person. So communication and engagement can be a saving grace because if you get to know this person, if you know what it is they're capable of, if you know what it is that they want, if you know what would make them happy and fulfilled and therefore better, more productive um, employees, better uh, citizens, citizens of the organization. It's not going to happen by chance. You have to be engaged with those individuals and engaged um, in, in conversation with them. And I see sometimes companies will do that. Maybe this is not what we thought we were getting, but let's see how we can take what we have in this person, discover what else there is in this person, and then apply it to our team, to our organization, so that everybody gets the most out of this relationship. Other times, unfortunately, a person gets brought on board and whether or not they're a good match, whether or not they're happy, whether or not the organization got what they thought they were getting, they're kind of left and forgotten and they're expected to fend for themselves. So it's so important that engagement and communications continue after the person is brought on board, because you might be missing out on something wonderful that you didn't even know you had. Um, 
So that's just, just one more thing that's so important when it comes to groups and teams. And, and Dr. Jeremy, Dr. Martha has sort of brought us back to that communication aspect. And, you know, as you often talk about just talking to your employees. Yeah, it's all about aiming for reciprocation and affective commitment. I want to go back to thinking just how vast our, our world is in, in terms of job functions and in terms of the multipliers of things that can be done. When you come to an organization, you have so much knowledge and there's so much potential that you can do for that particular organization. And it's not as much as what potential do they have in order for this per, per, certain person to grow. It's what can they take and how can they grow the company? Right. Think of how many CEOs, I think it was what the, uh, I'm probably way off here, but isn't the, like the CEO of Ford, then they come from the food business or something like that. It, you, you can, you can, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have the knowledge of a specific industry, but there's so much value that you can add. So going back to reciprocation and, and affective commitment, we talk about this a lot. It's a, the emotional attachment that you have to an organization or to a person or to a boss. And that's the strongest form of commitment that we can actually have. Dr. Martha was saying about you, somebody hires and gets hired onto an organization, and then it's they become kind of set back on the back burner. We're hiring you to do a job. We're not really a focus you have to offer. Don't they have everyone has the potential to be a star player or at least the best mediocre player that they can be. And until you engage them and until you are that type of leader for them in terms of energizing a team. You know, we're, we're using a lot of sports analogies here. It's really like taking your, your, your Michael Jordans, giving them a backpack and putting bricks in that backpack, and then just making them work that extra hard to be able to play and to be able to perform. If you're a manager or a leader and you think about energizing your team, some people may say, I have the most energized team in the world. It couldn't be any better. The question then becomes, are you sure? What would happen if it had to become better? What would that look like? And also, we talk to people all the time who solve problems that they have. And they say, well, I've tried that. Well, I've tried that. My first thought always goes to, have you really done it well? Yes, you've tried it, but have you taken the right steps? Have you focused on it? Have you done it well? So if you're struggling with energizing your team and you're falling back to, well, I'm supportive of them. They like me. We have a good relationship. I don't know what else I could do. Think a little deeper in terms of what would it look like? Let's say that let's let's you know maybe you need maybe pretend that every day they go to your boss and give them feedback and is, is it all you want them to say is my boss is really supportive we get along is that really being an effective manager my boss is supportive what do you want people to say behind your back you know in other words that's what our real reputation is and dig a little deeper I've done so many exercises with people and I say in a perfect world what does your team what does your team get or what does your team get out of you and sometimes they'll say something to the effect of, well, they want results and they want to have more and then they get stuck. So it's very simple. You give them silence and you say, keep going. It's amazing what people will pull out in the next 10 minutes and write down. They want to be, and they start to get it. Sometimes it really is just taking this time. They might say, well, they want to be respected. Well, they want to be recognized. And again, it's this communication. And sometimes we have to do it off ourselves if we don't have a good coach. And you might say, recognized. They might say, yeah, they want to be recognized, but actually they don't want to be recognized in public because then they feel awkward and they don't know how to handle that. And then it's very simply, okay, what are some forms of recognition? Then they might understand, oh, it's not necessarily outward recognition. It's appreciation and that feeling of being valued. So again, we're talking about this part of energizing and motivating a team. 
It's really how are people left after they have a conversation with you? If you're a boss, if you're trying to energize a team, we look at that individualism aspect like we did. And we also look at that team aspect. After a team meeting on a scale of one to 10, how energized is your team? In, in the beginning of a meeting, how much are they looking forward to it? I mean, we talk a little bit of a tangent here, Tom, but we talk to people all the time about, hey, we can't get my people on my team to turn their cameras on, right? Well, that says something, right, about how, how much they're looking forward to it and how much they actually value the meeting. But simple temperature checks are very helpful. Sometimes it takes asking those tough questions, having a little bit of, um, you know, these, these courageous kinds of conversations. But in the back of your mind, think, what kind of feedback, if they were to go shout out uh, to the world, the interactions that we had today, is it enough for them just to say, oh, they were supportive? Stay away from problem solving all the time, ask good questions, and let your team members think a little more deeply about the struggles they have during the day. And again, allow them to feel heard and understood and allow them ask the right questions to them so that they can discover some of the underlying process. You would be a very good theater director with that, <laughs> working in that manner. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, um, I'll touch on a few of the things that Jeremy was saying, but also going back first to our previous conversation around potential and whether or not you need to hire for expertise or whether or not, you know, just the right attitude is enough. And I think something that's really helpful for people who are in this space to keep in mind is it really depends on how many applications you're getting. So essentially what we what we kind of learned from the research is that if you have a huge application pool, if you're one of those companies that's very attractive, your brand is strong, you're attracting a lot of people, you get to be a lot more selective. So if you have a giant pool of applications, you actually can select for skills and personality and maybe IQ if you're careful about it and things like that. Um, but if you are not getting very many people, that's when you have to kind of shift into more of a training mode where you have to accept that you're going to have to do more training. And we actually see that in certain industries that are facing some talent shortages, such as construction, sometimes the trucking industry, and one similar. Um, and along that route, I also think that the job itself can vary based on expertise. So I think sometimes it helps to contextualize what we talk about. It might come across as more abstract with real examples. So if you are Starbucks and you're looking at your hiring model for baristas, you know, maybe something like attitude and work ethic is more important and um, maybe even agreeableness for team cohesion. You know, sometimes the training can be hard, but in the scheme of things, everyone can learn to do all roles within, within the Starbucks store. Um, in contrast, maybe a PhD consulting team, masters, or maybe just Bachelors in IO, not discriminating based on degree level, but just you know, needing specialization in this field, you might have to hold that as a criteria. That being said, you can always be flexible and you know, maybe hire someone in a different field than you normally would, and they can bring different attitudes and perspectives and backgrounds. So that can be helpful as well. Um, and then I also just wanted to just say that I absolutely agree with what Dr. Jeremy was saying about the culture really matters and is 50% of the equation in this, right? If you select someone, but then leave them in this toxic culture and or just kind of ignore them, that's like, not to be too severe, but that's like almost workplace neglect, you know, where like we have a responsibility to form these connections in our workplace and making sure that people feel included, like they know what the team expectations are, like they have the resources to do their tasks. And then that one that he was mentioning around recognition is huge. Um, as many of you guys know from my work, 
We do organization-wide assessments where we see how employees fall on many cultural dimensions. And we're seeing a trend over the last couple of years is seeing employee recognition as one of the lowest. So people are really struggling to recognize their employees' efforts. We, we can be so focused on the outcome and the bottom line in business where how a job is create, done and if the values are upheld during the work processes, that can just go by the wayside. And as Dr. Jeremy was saying, it's not about employee like rewards. Like I feel like people think of those big team meetings and like one employee gets recognized. I don't know why. I don't have any research behind it, but I kind of cringe at those. <laughs> Is it just, it's not, it's, it's really about, thank you for doing this. I saw how you went above and beyond on this. Wow, I really liked your creativity on this project. Those are the little day-to-day comments that make employees feel like they matter. <laughs> it's really critical, Dr. Ariana, as you say, to make sure that if you're going to recognize your employees, it's something they appreciate. You know, I, I know of, a, of an organization where, once a month, they have ice cream, but nobody really cares. <laughs> they, they, you know, they would rather some other form of recognition. So is it vitally critical to, you know, once again, talk to your employees and figure out the type of recognition that they would feel good with? I think so. I mean, feedback is always critical. And I've seen that work well. I've seen where an employee does an event where they give $25 to eats and everyone orders a meal. And I've seen people go crazy for that. It's like, wow, they're buying me lunch. This is above and beyond. We never do this. What are you eating? Like, but on the flip side, if you're not tuning in and not taking feedback, and I've also seen companies where they're like, take your swag. We got it. The people are like, we don't want these sweatshirts, you know, like, so you really do tune in and be willing to even like post a really simple Google form, just capturing feedback because you don't want to be pushing something on someone that's almost worse than doing nothing. Yeah, I remember my days of post-secondary. I, I was with an institution for five years. They had this annual ceremony with recognition. And for five years, I got a really nice meal and a certificate. <laughs> Didn't really feel appreciated. <laughs> Brendan, let's go to you. So definitely piggyback on what Dr. Ariana said is that I see a lot of companies trying to use selection methods when they have a recruiting issue. So you can't do selection methods when you have two candidates. Now, we had a discussion the other day about where where could we see IO in, um, you know, popular culture or things like that. So Jeremy's going to love this one. I don't know where this came out of, but I thought about when Kramer was trying to find a uh, someone to drive the rickshaw for him. And he has the two candidates who are both homeless. And one of them takes off with the rickshaw. And then the other one, by default, just gets the job because he's the only remaining one. You really wouldn't be able to use any selection methods when you only have those two candidates. And um, just something else that Jeremy said that, like, again, getting back more serious, but that uh, I uh, attended a conference and one of the speakers was talking about analytics. And again, this is analytics, but this, this applies to other portions of business as well, is that you want to address your red flags but you also want to address your green flags to make sure that you're progressing. So if you if your green flags, you should be turning them red to make sure that they're going to get better. And that's where you see the most brilliant minds in society just making progress with things where this is good and everyone's like this good this is good but then they make it better and that's why I have an iPhone 13 Pro Max now because the iPhone 6 at the time was great but this is far better and then soon enough I'll have an iPhone 20. And I still have an iPhone 5. <laughs> Dr. Martha, let's go to you. What will it take to get you into an iPhone 13, Tom? 
I so I wanted I to. <laughs> so I wanted to um, go back to what Dr. Jeremy said because I was loving what he said about the leader who says, um, "My team is energized; they're they're doing great." Well, are you sure? How do you know? Because here we are looking at the collective, we're looking at the team, and we're saying, "Okay, how can we maximize?" what's happening with this team, all the good stuff. But it all goes back to the individual. What's going to energize one person doesn't mean it's going to energize everybody. That's where that engagement and communication comes in so important, comes in um, as, as such an important skill. And, you know, you, you might think that your team is at the top of its game, but maybe your idea of what the top of the game is, is very limited and you're shortchanging your team. So it's so critical to have that engagement with your team. And as far as uh, different forms of recognition, it's, it's very interesting because that is very individual as well. One person may love to have that free lunch. What about that um, you know, lactose intolerant person who is getting ice cream, <laughs> they couldn't care less about that. And I've also seen people who are being recognized in front of their peers for whatever appreciation the company is trying to bestow upon them. And they would rather disappear because they're so embarrassed to stand in front of a group, even though it's a group of people that they work with every day. So essentially they're being tortured as their reward. So again, Know your people, know the individuals on the team, what's going to energize them, what's going to make them appreciate being there, what's going to motivate and drive them. And then you will have a collective reward at the end. I'd like you to be my boss. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Harris, let's go to you. I second that. <laughs> you know, we, um, we were talking earlier about potential and um, attitude, I put in the comments, uh, hire for attitude, train for success. And when I said that, that doesn't really exclude the person with experience. It just means it's talking about the uh, person's overall evaluation toward the specific position toward the actual um, company as well. And I think it comes out of the, um, I can't remember the book, but I think it's by Gatewood, Field and Barrick, where they talk about the selection and training process. We have two opportunities to get the best out of people when we hire them and when we train them. So we really need a talent management strategy that accommodates our organizational strategy. Here we are right now, but this is where we want to be in 10 years from now. So when I have my selection process, am I selecting or do I have a pool of candidates that not can only fulfill the role and where we desire to be um, years from now, but when we decide to take on this new technology because of the trends that are taking place, are they capable? Do they have the ability to be able to grasp the, the training that comes along with it, as well as the current employees as well? Yeah, I agree. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Well, hallelujah and amen to that. Um, so just to, to build on that a little bit, when when we're looking at pe companies that don't have a, that's a time other than, you know, some um, profession, whether it's that's not the in most that are having applicants. And so it's your time to look at why are we not getting the applicant? What can we be doing differently that gives us the reputation that people will want to work for us? And you don't need to have the emblem that says you're the best to work for. You just need to have some some chatter in the industry. Come work for my company and and give them reasons for that. So if you're not getting candidates, it's a time for you to be reflective and figure out what is it that we can be doing differently because 
there's a way that you can change that. That's that's one thing. And then to to build on on some that, that Jeremy was saying, you know, as far as recognition, you know, it's one thing to you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable, as Dr. Martha was saying. But there's a couple other ways. One of the things that I would always tell um, some of the the division managers was to keep in your budget, you know, a fund for you know the fifty dollar bill or the hundred dollar bill, and when somebody just knocked it out of the park slap it on the desk or something like that. And it's like, and everybody goes, wow, you know, kind of thing. But in addition, when people use their communication tool, whether it's Teams or Slack or whatever, to call somebody out and say, you know, so-and-so did a great presentation the other day, some top leaders can take that and write a thank you note. And I'm going to say that because they mean a lot. When you get a note from somebody at top management, people care. And the prime example of that is the person can't remember his name, but he took over Campbell Soups when it was failing. And he did several things besides getting rid of people who didn't perform. He wrote during his tenure there over 20,000 thank you notes to employees. And he had ways to get the reports, you know, for what who had done what. But he was he had a car driving him to and from work where he was and he would take that time to just write thank you notes and people all over the company had them on their bulletin board they mean something so it doesn't have to be this huge thing to expensive process or whatever to recognize people but they matter yeah but if you want to throw 100 bucks my way <laughs> Renwick good to see you again let's go to you yeah this is an excellent uh, conversation again I've gotten used to these so Thank you for everyone who's contributed. Just a couple of random thoughts, and and the most random of which is this old saying, you you dig your well before you need the water. Didn't learn it in a university. Somewhere along the way, I heard it said, and it applies so deeply to what we're talking about. And in particular, on the matter of culture and, and branding, so that you, as an organization, can be incredibly attractive. And, and able to, with your activities, wherever you are in a moment, whether it's at a conference or in the office or on social media, to name a few examples, the, the substance and tone of your messaging and in your, this time, everyone in the organization's messaging is such that you're desirable. People out there who are not yet looking notice you and want to be a part of this that is so awesome. Right? So, so there's, there's, there's that idea from the standpoint of branding and building a culture that helps with selection. And then there's also the other element, and many of you have alluded to it as you've talked about intrinsic motivation. And, and isn't that the case that we all do things for ultimately what are our reasons? And, and so part of the role of leaders is to create and nurture an environment that facilitates ongoing discovery of the, the desires of each individual in the organization so that individually and collectively we could arrive or they could arrive at shared interests, those commonalities that cause them to collectively be motivated and remain highly motivated to be better with each and every day and contribute in most significant ways to the organization. So those are just a couple of random thoughts that occur to me as I listen to you share your splendid ideas. 
Well, and, and that makes so much sense to me because, you know, if I'm an employee, I want to feel like I'm growing and like I'm, I'm valuable, but I also want that sense of I'm part of something larger than myself. Are those the two sort of keys that we really need for a team? You know, to answer that question in an interesting way, you know, there's there's this sense that um, there are insiders and outsiders of organizations. And I'm always struck by the possibility that by looking to the outside, we might discover someone who is not just a contributor, is a transformer. So, so while we may think of ourselves as being in the business of finding talent and developing it, what if that talent found us and developed us? I, I would like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Jeremy, are, are we looking for you know, agents of transformation? I, I think we're looking for uh, agents of, of perspective change and thought transformation. I, and that's, that's why I really love what Renick is saying, because it's about looking at these things quite differently than we normally do. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, how, you know, motivating a team. And it's important to go back to instead of motivating, how do we remove barriers to motivation? People are naturally motivated. And what are we doing there? As it's also important to look at compounding effects. You know, how many times, how many times in your life, personal relationships, professional relationships, somebody has spoken up because they're upset with that very specific issue. Is that really the issue of why they're speaking up? Or is it a lot of different issues? And finally, they're just speaking up. Usually it takes a length of time that something's been eating at some, or it takes an intensity of something, or it takes a bunch of things happening together, and then somebody finally speaks up. So if you have an employee that's coming to you and saying, you know, this is an issue, or I'm not motivated because of this, or whatever it may be, try to look at the different barriers that can be removed. I think you'd be surprised at figuring out, here are the different underlying things going on. Here's one barrier I can remove. And lo and behold, removing that particular barrier to someone's motivation could just open automatically a lot of the other flood doors as well. It's important to change change our perspective. I can't help but think of one of my terrible analogies, which I just thought of opening. If it's really hot inside and inside your house and you open a window, opening your window does not make the house cooler. That it's It's the air that comes in. Because guess what? It could be hotter outside. Opening a window doesn't do it. But this is the kind of thinking that we need to go through is start to think more about cause and effect, underlying issues, and what can actually be done and just changing that that little bit of perspective. Tom, next week we will be talking about linking meter ooh, speaking of linking measurement to motivation. Linking measurement to motivation is what we're talking about next Thursday. And just before we, because we this hour has flown by, uh, any updates on CBOC and what's happening there? Check out the uh, events. We have a lot of uh, good events going on next week. We have our mixer with uh, Iowa military experts, Destiny Preet's organization. Check out cboc.com slash events for upcoming events. And subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. That's all I got, Tom. Should I just count out? Uh, yeah, I think we may as well. All <laughs> Thanks, right. Jeremy. Well done. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.